The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. You are listening to Know the Score, presented by the CSPN. You can visit our website at knowthescore.cspn.us. Follow us on Twitter at KTSPod and keep the conversation going using the hashtag KTSPod. I am your host, Tyler Ball. You can find me on Twitter at TA Ball, the number one. And we've got our full team in on our final show of 2016. Uh, goodbye and good riddance to this year. It's got to go. Uh, stepping in, we've got our man, Don DeLorente. You can follow him on Twitter at Don DeLorente. What's going on, Don? Hey, what's up, Tyler? Trying to spread a cheer and good wishes to everyone. All right. And also, we've got Tobias Wilborn. You can follow him on Twitter at nwillborn19. What's going on, man? Nothing much, man. It's ready to get started, bro. All right. Let's get in straight into the National Football League. But uh, before that, we're going uh, we're gonna to give a rest in peace and a major shout out to an inspiration for all, for all the sports. But a guy who's covered um, sports for nearly 30 years. Um, he's, of course, well known for his coverage of basketball. On Turner Sports, uh, we want to say a rest in peace to Craig Sager, and I'm going to have an open panel for you guys to remember Craig Sager and your what do you, what do you best remember about Six? Uh, go ahead, um, Nabias. Man, I mean, where do you start? Right? I mean, this guy. Um, I still really haven't fully processed, you know, him not being. I mean, obviously, I knew he was really not doing well. Um, I saw him about three weeks ago. Um, for a project that I was working on, and I haven't decided what I'm going to do with here. But that being said, man, just like a lot of times we throw around that people are classy because, quite honestly, the barometer for human decency in our society is just so damn low. But Sager really was a true gentleman, you know what I mean? Like, he remembered everybody's name, and <clears throat> that may sound small and trivial, but you know, when you've been in the league 30 years. And in every city, I mean, everybody, like from the ushers to the popcorn guys to the hot dog guys to the star of the team and everybody in between, Sager talks to him and treats them all very special, man. One of my first memories of him, um, I'm really cool with his son, um, Craig Sager Jr. And just remember covering him playing college football at UGA and Sager, like, reading some of my stuff and actually, like, emailing me and thanking me, you know, just for the coverage and – you know, he's just a very special individual, man. And, you know, <clears throat> cancer's terrible disease. Hopefully, you know, we find a cure for all these diseases that plague our society. But, man, you know, it's going to be different. And also, too, I hope that people don't just remember the suits, man. Um, he was as good of a journalist as it gets. Like, when he was on that sidelines, nowadays sideline reports are mostly fluff because of how the league's PR systems have changed over the years. But, he broke news on those sidelines, man. Like, yeah, the clothes were part of that, and they were what they were. But this guy was exceptional at his job and what he did. And he had a lot of impact on a lot of people. And it was a little darker place after Sager died. And, um, you know, I just hope that as the next generations come on, that they're able to do some of the kind of work that he did, man. And even him with Popovich, you know, seeing them interact um, and knowing how much Greg hates those in-game interviews, just because, quite honestly – it's not really good TV. You're not even getting good information, but him and Sager would play along and do it. So, yeah, I mean, he's going to be missed. Um, shout out to the old Josh and Jills, which was the bar that he owned, the only one in Charlotte and a few in Atlanta, and met Sager. Um, I may not share that story. I may share the story at the end of the show. Yeah, but we'll, we'll see. Um, let's just put it this way. We didn't talk about sports that night. Um, he owned a sports bar called Josh and Jills, and it's actually a place where I had my first legal drink, we'll say. And, yeah, it, it just a uh, – Really great character, just a good man. And like I said, man, our, our society is a little darker this year. I mean, we've had a lot of deaths, and this is one that really hurts. Uh, just as far as someone who grows up thinking that they might want to do that profession in some capacity, yeah, Craig Sager has been around as long as there's been sports on TBS or TNT. So, like, basically as long as I've had cable, I've seen Craig Sager in some capacity, whether it was football when they used to do football back in the day or basketball and baseball when they had the baseball as well. So, I mean, he's branched out through all sports, not just basketball. But, I mean, that's what he's known for in particular. And 
just so fitting that ESPN this year decided to, you know, let him work a finals game, being it was such a historic finals. It's the first time he'd ever got a chance to work the finals. And, you know, he's been synonymous with being the sideline reporter for the NBA. And just to think that that's the first time he's ever worked in the finals is just mind-blowing. And I'm glad that ESPN and TNT figure a way out for it to happen, and they made the most of his time because, you, you know, you never know how much time we do have, especially with someone in the condition like Craig was in. So I, it was just special, I think, for the finals to have that little special splice of Craig Sager being able to, to be a part of it and the history that was made with it. Um, yeah, just a big part of it is just everybody saying so many nice things. Um, they're saying how he used to work the sideline, like Nabias was saying, going up and down the sidelines and saying hello to the, the people, whether you were a superstar or a role player or, you know, the 15th man to the head coach. You know, everybody had nothing to say but nice things about Craig Sager. So, yeah, he would definitely be missed. Um, I mean, he goes back to Hank Aaron hitting this, you know, 715, you know, home run to break Babe Ruth's record up into the 2016 NBA Finals. I mean, that's his career. So, I mean, just think about all the moments that he's been a part of and been a part of our lives. So, yeah, there would definitely be a big, big chunk of us missing when this happens. So, hopefully we continue to celebrate his life and, and his work. And let that be a lesson to, you know, young journalists as you guys are coming into the business if you want to do that, that. One of the reasons why he was so effective as a journalist was because he built those relationships with the administrative assistants and, you know, the AKA, we call them, you know, the gatekeepers. Like he was able to maintain a lot of different relationships with a lot of different types of people. And that's what leads to being able to break news. That's what leads to getting the stories. And that's what he was able to do. So, yeah, like you don't have to be an asshole to be good at this business and you can be kind and respectful cover a story hard and still have the respect of the people that you cover at the end of the day. And um, he did it. And man, like I said, he, he's going to be missed, man. Like the NBA, like you think about it <clears throat> other than commissioner Stern, you think about the past 30 years of the NBA. I mean, obviously there's like scouts and coaches and stuff who are a part of the fabric who've been or, or PR people. But as far as front facing people, you really can't think of anybody who's been around the league, a consistent part of the league more than Craig Seger. As I said, maybe other than David Stern, but that's about it. All right, Nabias, we're going to just move on to some uh, NFL as we'll make the segue into week 15. We've got the NFC West champions now. Seattle took on the Rams coming off of their coaching chain. Jeff Fisher got fired. It was an amazing day in the world of sports where the most mediocre of the mediocre finally lost his job. Was it a case of the Rams didn't want to be embarrassed and have Jeff Fisher become the most losingest coach on their watch? Or did they realize that, hey, you know, they finally have, uh, I think his name is Wes Need, that he could just finally see the light and say that, you know, I've hitched my wagon to a, a horse that won't run. Well, it's on the Rams situation because, you know, Seattle, you know, based on, you know, we, we'll talk about them in a second, but Seattle well, is really it, the story. I mean, I, the Rams are really the story here. Well, listen, I mean, you asked several questions there, but the guy that tried to parse it down, I mean, one, you know, I mean, Twitter, I mean, Joe's going to joke on Twitter, right? That's just what that is. But I mean, you know, that, that extension was signed well before it was announced. It just right. never was a really good time to announce it. He got the extension in part because he helped lead the, you know, it was, gold, it was, it was a golden parachute. I mean, it was what it was. You know, his agent is Kevin Demoff's son. I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot of things going on. I mean, Jeff Fisher's a hustler, man. I mean, I think he's a good coach. Like, I do think some of those, some of those teams weren't good teams. I mean, this team now, I mean, their offensive line is uh, – the offensive line is so terrible. It makes Gurley look like a mediocre running back, which he is. Um, we don't know if Jerry Goff has even game. The previous quarterbacks didn't have much game. I mean, this is a bad team. So, I mean, some of that ain't – all of it ain't on Jeff Fisher. I mean, he was lucky, I think, in a sense of – I don't want to say lucky. I mean, he was in situations with patient owners. Um, you think about his time in Tennessee, he had one of the most patient owners in the league. And the Rams were a very patient team, which, I mean, to be honest, Jeff Fisher got things the way they should be. It's just we don't see it very often. Generally, like we look at our Charlie Strong or, you know, I know not trying to compare to college. You look at a Charlie Strong who got three years. He didn't get the five years. Every Texas coach ever got five years, he got three. So part of the anger is <clears throat> that you do see this guy getting chance after chance after chance, whereas, and let's be real, I mean, 
you see a lot of black coaches don't even get a chance at all. But I'm not mad at Jeff Fisher for that. I think he just got in situations where, you know, he's had some really patient owners who are willing to wait. Now, I do want to see how patient the Rams will be with their next coach because they're not good. I also want to see who's going to have a less need. I, I do think that Fisher's need had issues, and now we're going to see less need if he is a real GM because he's got to hire a coach into that mess. And I don't know how many coaches are going to be interested. I mean, I know it's only one of 32 jobs, but if you're a top-flight coach, why do you go to L.A.? I mean, why do you go to the Rams? Because there's not much there right now. So we'll see. Uh, either way, Jeff Fisher probably will never have to work again. And I doubt if, I, I, and I doubt if he would work in coaching again. I, I don't think he's getting another head coaching job. I don't think he wants to be a coordinator, so I'm not sure what's next for him. But I ain't mad at him. But, yeah, like people made so much of the of the extension. The extension was already signed. You know, hey, he got a parting gift, man. I ain't mad at that dude. Get your money. And he got his. And now we'll see what happens with this team going forward. All right, Tyler, we want to jump back in and talk about Seattle. They seem to get their offense back on track. They got 24 points in this game. But, um, you know, always with Seattle, the drama seems to sometimes be what's on the sideline and what's not, and what's then what's on the field, rather. As um, Richard Sherman voiced his displeasure about throwing the ball at the one-yard line as they got a what appeared to be an interception, but it got overturned on replay. Um, so, you know, it was just another theme, and Richard Sherman wasn't happy about that. He said, we talking about him and his teammates on defense, their decision to continue to throw the ball on the one-yard line because they saw how that worked out before. So can we get past the, uh, the drama in Seattle, and can they make this thing work to, to get back into the contention for an NFC title game? I'll open it up to the bias again. Just what are your thoughts on Seattle's inner turmoil with their team, and how can that relate to the field? Well, I mean, it seems like that's how they rock, man. It seems like they – you know, it's like the, the 70s Yankees teams, man. You know, they didn't necessarily do the old story. Hey, there's 25 guys. They all took 25 calves, right? But, I mean, hey, they won championships, man. So, you know, like Reggie Jackson and, and Thurman weren't necessarily best friends. I mean, two very different backgrounds. But they made it work. I think this team – I don't think there's as much turmoil as it seems. I just think that Sherman tends to say things out loud that maybe maybe should, maybe shouldn't. Um, I also think that they encourage that. I think they encourage personality. And I think that they have a vibe that works. and. I tell you what, I don't know how good they are, but you don't want to see them at home out there. So, like I said, I mean, they got the division because that division is terrible other than them, which is very disappointing to see how bad Arizona is. But that's all in the conversation. But, yeah, I, they, they'll be all right. I mean, I don't, I don't know how good they really are. Like, I don't know if they could beat the Cowboys. I don't know if they could beat the Falcons in Atlanta. I think they beat the Falcons before, but we all know what happened on that controversial call. That being said, they're going to be what they're going to be. So I, I think they're all right. I don't think that argument and all that stuff is really that big a deal. Yeah, you made a great point about not having to play them in Seattle. I think next to the Cowboys, I mean, for them to have the overall home field advantage would definitely be a daunting task to any team who, you know, is thinking about an upset. They have to do that on the road. Um, you know, they seem their offense and, and their defense seems to feed off of their crowd and their energy. They're a much different team if you can get them on the road. Um, they're a bigger um, for it to get beat or get upset if, you know, your team can play pretty decent on the road as we saw with the Packers a couple of weeks ago. So we'll see what's going on with, the, you know, Seattle going on further down the road in the playoffs as now they're getting set. And they'll probably, you know, go hard through the finish line. Uh, there are a couple of games, they're one game, two games behind Dallas. They have uh, four losses, Dallas has two. So they'll try to get into that top seed. So as Seattle takes aim on trying to overtake Dallas as the number one seed, We've also got some contenders on their heels, as we have the Lions and the Giants, both at 9-4, to get their thing together. They're trying to make a charge to win their division over the Lions as well. So, Tyler, I want you to just talk about the biggest threat, maybe, to overtake Dallas if they begin to stumble, and Seattle can overtake Dallas and get the first place. Overall, um, I I would give that the biggest threat to the, um, to the Cowboys would actually be the New York Giants because of the tiebreaker. First things first, they have to beat Detroit on Sunday. But the best possibility, best case scenario, and most likely scenario, if the Cowboys are going to be knocked off of, of first, would be for the Giants to win out. Uh, the Giants have probably the easiest schedule out of any of the seeds remaining, uh, other than, well, Seattle, we've already discussed the Seattle, but the Giants have the next easiest with the Lions, Eagles, and Redskins. Uh, I would say that they can win two of those three games. They can actually sweep. If I, I believe if they beat the Lions Sunday, 
they can beat both the Eagles and the Redskins to win out. Uh, and obviously they would leap from the five seed to the one. And Dallas, ironically, would, uh, would switch places. They'd be knocked all the way down to the five, uh, similar to what's going on with, with the Raiders last week when the Raiders were knocked down from the one seed to the five seed. So uh, I think the Giants have the best chance out of the three because they have the best uh, schedule remaining. Uh, Seattle, even though the teams that they play, the Cardinals and the 49ers, have have terrible records, um, I would not be surprised if Arians gets the Cardinals up for Seattle. And mind you, they just play, they played to a 6-6 tie. So anyone, that, that's it. That is as as a toss up as any game left this season. Now we've been you know spending a lot of time on the NFC. Let's give the AFC some love. Let's uh, talk about some Super Bowl threats coming out of the AFC. So Tyler, we'll start with you. The uh, Raiders seem to have taken a step back. Chiefs seem to have been moving forward. Patriots are the steady Eddie. Do you see anybody making a run? You know that we are not thinking about just right up yet. Um, let's look at Pittsburgh. Uh, they're right now at three. They've got a very favorable schedule ahead. They've got the Bengals, Ravens, and the Browns. And of course, uh, even though the Ravens have beaten them, that was without Le'Veon Bell. So uh, I personally think the Steelers are the uh, the most equipped team to win the Super Bowl. Uh, you have a playmaking quarterback, one of the best running backs in the league. You have an opportunistic defense. And of course, you have one of the best wide receivers in the game. So the Steelers are, are the team to really look out for. Um, can they over? I don't think they'll overtake the Patriots. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, the power Patriots have to do is one, one more win and they'll lock up the, the first seed. But Pittsburgh can move itself from the from the uh, they would have to get some help in order to move up to the second seed uh, because the Chief, they're still two games behind the Chiefs. However, the Chiefs have a little bit tougher schedule. They have the Titans the Broncos and the Chargers. Uh, you know, anytime you got two division, you got two divisional opponents that can beat you because the Chiefs don't have the scariest of offenses. Um, and of course you have the Titans and the Titans still have something to play for. They still think they can win the division. So uh, it's not an easy road for the Chiefs. So don't be surprised if Pittsburgh can win two games and make that Chiefs Chargers game uh, meaningful at the end. Tobias, I'll open up the same question to you. Do you see a, a dark horse as an AFC threat, or who are you looking forward to come out of that conference? Man, I mean, whoever it is ain't going to win the Super Bowl. I mean, I don't think. So kind of doesn't matter, but I guess, um, I mean, it could, like I said, it could be Oakland, which would be interesting just because for the last, what, 15 years, they've been nothing. I mean, I've said this, I've said this on the show, what, a month ago, whatever. Like, what if it is the Raiders-Cowboys? I mean, Two storied franchises. Yes, kids, if you're under 25, at one point, the Raiders were a good NFL franchise, and so were the Cowboys. And now to see them both, even though the Raiders really need a new stadium, golly. But, um, you know, those franchises are linked for a lot of different reasons. The relationship between Jerry Jones and, you know, the family, the Al Davis family was very entrenched. You know what I'm saying? Um, Jerry considered Al a mentor and a close friend. So, there are a lot of reasons why I would love to see that Super Bowl. I think it would be a great history lesson for NFL fans. So, I mean, it could happen, you know. Um, it could be the Patriots just because they still got Tom Brady. But, I mean, not having Gronk significantly affects their offense. And it makes them damn near one-dimensional. It totally changes everything they do. And it also changes what they do on defense because there's just a certain amount of confidence. You don't have that. So, I'm not as high on the Patriots without Gronk. Um, I don't know if I trust Alex Smith enough. But, I mean, hey, Trent Diffin won the Super Bowl. So, I mean, why not Alex Smith, right? Um, I don't know who comes out of the AFC, but it could be either one of those three teams, I think. I don't think Denver has enough. I don't even know if they make the playoffs at this point. Because, I mean, yeah. some in the NFC, the NFC South. Yeah, yeah, the Titans are looking like they've got the inside track to win that division. So, yeah, that's another spot that Denver is going to be locked out of. Denver has a really, really, really hard schedule, then they would have to win out and still maybe get some help to sneak in, so it looks like they're going to get shut out. Um, we're going to talk about somebody who's going to come back this week, and that's none other than Adrian Peterson. He's going to step back on the field for the first time since week, I think it was two or three, where he got injured uh, for his meniscus. So is this a good business decision for Adrian Peterson? I'll start with you, Tyler. Would you, if you were the Minnesota Vikings, would you just shut him down until next year? I mean, he doesn't play in the preseason. 
So that'll be plenty of time for him to, you know, be 100% healthy to start this next season where he'll be, you know, 32 years old as a running back. He's not getting any younger. So what would you advise Adrian Peterson to do? Um, to be honest, uh, is it Peterson or is it the Vikings in his ear? That's the first question. Uh, I mean, you think about it. You're not outside of the playoffs right now. You look at your six seed, uh, Tampa Bay. You look at the, uh, you look at your five, your five seed. You might, you, you're not gonna get the five. But is it worth it if to sneak in and get that last wild card and maybe, just maybe, get on a Super Bowl run? I don't know what he's thinking, but I think that's the Vikings in there. Um, I think that's the Vikings telling them in their ear that yeah, we can, we've got a shot. So if you play and we give you 10 to 15 carries and you, and you know, you help us, uh, you know, it can happen. So I think Peterson just wants to play just to test and see where he is. Um, I don't think that it's going to be, I think they're going to play it safe with him. So, you know, I don't see a problem with him coming back. I think if he, if he wants to test it out, give him about 10, 10 to 12 carries to 10 to 12 touches maybe and see what happens. Who knows? Uh, now, if they lose, then yeah, shelf them. All right, Navarro, are, are, are you with that game plan? Would you see how it goes if they win a game? As long as you're winning, you play them the rest of these three games. If you lose a game, shut them down. I mean, it don't matter if I'm with it or not. I mean, I ain't getting paid. They getting, you getting paid. Well, I mean, look, man, I mean, you know, first of all, man, I think it's very important to remember how great of a player Adrian Peterson is. And I, I think he should be a first ballot Hall of Famer. That being said, you know, as a run back, break down, and I think his body's starting to betray him. Um, if I were him, I wouldn't play. But, again, that's also why I'm probably not in the NFL because they're crazy. He's crazy, and he's going to try it. Yeah. If he, I mean, and, and look, man, has he even won a playoff game, maybe one or two in his whole career? Because that, for the most part, other than him, that Minnesota, like, he came after, you know, Dante Culpepper the last time they were kind of rolling it up. But it's really real success he's seen. And of course, I could be way off on this. I just I just can't remember over the last what ten years, they haven't done much in the playoffs. I mean, if he thinks there's a chance, he's gonna try it because well, that's what he does. That's what football players do. Well, he did. He um, now remember he does have a bad memory, also as far as leading the team in the playoffs. Where you know Brett Favre, uh, you know they're probably inches away from the from you know salting away the uh, possibly the NFC championship, and of course he fumbles. So I think he's got a bad, yeah, not only is it lack of sets, but he has a bad taste in his mouth in the playoffs. So any chance to erase some of those memories, I think he takes it right. if, 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 if the opportunity comes up. Speaking of the playoffs, as Jim Moore once famously said, we're getting down to the last three weeks, so we got some teams that are in that place that you don't want to be when they show the graphic on television, and that's in the hunt. And a lot of the drama is in the NFC, so – we're going to just give some playoff predictions. So this is our last show of the year. So maybe we'll do some predictions up into the NFC Championship games and then the Super Bowl. So, Tyler, start with you. Um, you know, kind of who do you see in the playoffs? And then who do you see in the championship games in the Super Bowl? NFC, my seeds do not change. Cowboys finish, uh, finish 13-3 and with the one seed. The Lions take uh, – the Lions will finish um, – 11 no uh 11 and uh 11 and 5 just a game ahead of the giants uh and that will of course be um i think tampa bay gets in i think tampa bay uh tampa bay actually beats the cowboys this week and stays as the 6 seed in the wild card giants of course be the 5 seattle is the is the um seattle can't move up to the 2 um they they won't be able to move to replace uh, the Lions at the two, uh, and then the Falcons will will win the um, the Falcons will win the the NFC South and remain as the four uh, in the AFC. Uh, I'm thinking that these that the the Steelers will move from the third seed to the two. I'm going to say that the Chiefs dropped two of their last three. Steelers went out and they overtake. The Chiefs on top on the tiebreaker and become the two seed. Chiefs will move down to the three. The others will stay the same. The uh, Patriots become Patriots remain as the top seed. Uh, the Broncos get in as the last wild card. 
because of their defense. And I say that the te- the uh, Texans will win the AFC South and remain at the four. Uh, your AFC championship game will likely be the Patriots and the Raiders. Uh, having to go to New England, I think New England holds. They go to the Super Bowl in the NFC. Uh, it's shaping to be the Cowboys and possibly the Cowboys and Giants meet again, this time in Dallas. Dallas wins. Patriots Dallas, Patriots Super Bowl with the Cowboys in Houston, and the Cowboys will knock off the Patriots somehow, some way to win the Super Bowl. That's my prediction. I'm sticking to it. He started that with a lot of head. He ended that with a whole bunch of his heart. So, yeah. Tobias, we'll move to you. And, and what do you see as far as the playoff picture? And NFC Championship game, AFC Championship game, and Super Bowl. Man, that's a whole lot of stuff you just asked there, bro. But um, uh, to make it simple, man, I think I think it'll be Cowboys versus Seattle in the AFC, in the NFC Championship game with uh, Cowboys winning out. I think the Falcons win the division. I think, oh, obviously, Cowboys will win the NFC East. Um, I think the Giants make a little bit of noise, but not enough. So yeah, I think it'll be Cowboys versus. Um, I lost my chance. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, it, Cowboys are going to go to the Super Bowl too. They're going to win. They're going to beat Seattle because Seattle will have to play them in Dallas, and they're not going to win that game. So, yeah, I think I think the Dallas Cowboys come out. I think they'll do it this year. I am a little nervous about Dak Prescott. Um, I do think he's kind of coming back to earth, and we'll see if that doesn't mean maybe some Romo time. We'll see, but he's definitely coming back to earth. So that is a concern. Um, out of the AFC, I see the Pats, Raiders, and the AFC Championship game. I think the Raiders are going to come out. I, I do think we're going to get a Cowboys-Raiders Super Bowl, which will be very interesting. Um, and, geez, it's really hard to predict here, but I think the Raiders will win the Super Bowl. Even though I know I said earlier, I thought I was an AFC team and win, but I do think that – I do think the Raiders will find a way to win the Super Bowl to honor the memory of Al Davis. All right. I'm going to make it real simple. Um I'm hoping that the Redskins can somehow find a way in. It's going to cause us some strange bedfellows as I'm rooting again for Dallas to somehow find a way to beat Tampa Bay. But Tampa Bay looks really hot right now, so it's going to be a tough game for Dallas. So I've still got my teams still alive that I picked at the beginning of the year, so I'm going to go Seahawks and Cowboys as well in the NFC Championship game. But I'm going to go with the Seahawks. I think the Seahawks defense will overtake the offense of the Cowboys just because it's so simplified right now with them having a rookie quarterback. And if the game is low scoring, I think Seattle's defense will make the play to, to win the game ultimately for them. And then we go to the other side. Um, it's been, you know, the Patriots have been dominant all year, but the one chess piece that nobody can cover on the board is hurt, so that makes them very vulnerable. I'm with Tyler. The Steelers have been so heck in Jekyll on the road, it's hard to really trust them in the playoffs because, you know, the games are going to be, you know, so tight. But I think that they can do it. And I called it uh, Steelers and Seattle Super Bowl beginning of the year. I'm going to stick with that as my Super Bowl with the Steelers and their dynamic offense being too much for uh, Seattle in the Super Bowl this year. So that's our NFL Super Bowl preview. But finally, we'll move into, I know, what our producer Mel and Classic are really interested in. And that's our ATS pod fantasy football playoffs. And they are the number one seed as they have gone undefeated through the regular season once again. Are we going to have a New England Patriots situation where they get knocked off? Well, the first person who has a chance to knock him off this year will be Gordon. And his team, Bad Advice Bone at 9-5, and five, play the number one seed, Captain America, for 14 and up. The number two seed, Grand Daddy Dogs, at 10-4. and four. They face the number three seed, and no good Delta Prosper, who finished the season at 9-5. and five. So good luck to all the owners who made playoffs, and hopefully your teams and their players continue to play throughout the end of the year. So next week in our championship game, we can have, you know, a really close one, and he goes down to the wire. So that's our NFL this week on Just a reminder that you are listening to Know the Score, presented by the CSPN, and we invite you to keep our podcast free by shopping at Amazon. Visit CSPN.us, then click on the Keep Our Podcast Free link at the top of the page. From there, scroll down and click on the Amazon link to shop. Purchase items as you, from Amazon as you normally would this holiday season, whether it's books, music, electronics, jewelry, and apparel. For every purchase made on Amazon through our link, Amazon sends the CSPN a payment that helps keep Know the Score and all our other podcasts free for our listeners at no extra cost to you. If you shop at Amazon often, especially during this holiday season, 
just bookmark the link or add it as your homepage so you can help the CSPN each time you order. Of course, we thank you for your support. We're going to jump into uh, the NCAA. Of course, we uh, last week we had the Heisman Trophy ceremony to recap all of the football awards. Uh, we had Lamar Jackson, who took the Heisman Trophy, and also two of the three quarterback awards with uh, Deshaun Watson getting the Davey O'Brien Trophy. Uh, Dante Freeman from Texas took the running back award, which is the Doak Walker. Uh, wide receiver D.D. Westbrook from Oklahoma took the Belitnikoff Award, which goes to the best wide receiver. And uh, most impressively, defensive end from Alabama, Jonathan Allen, uh, claims what I call the defensive triple crown as he took the uh, the two defensive player of the year awards and the award for his position, uh, the Nagurski and the Bignarek and the defensive end trophy of the year. Uh, Alabama also had two other players to gain awards. Uh, Cam Robinson got the Outland trophy and Dick and uh, Ruben Foster got the buckets award. No shock there as Alabama has been the number one defense all year long. And of course, Colorado coach, Mike McIntyre, who has the Buffaloes in a bowl game for the first time in many years, takes home the Coach of the Year awards. Uh, any surprises? Um, just, this is going to be an open panel question. Uh, were there any surprises with Jackson taking the Heisman or any of these names, uh, you know, being the best at their positions? It's just funny that uh, Lamar Jackson didn't sweep all the quarterback awards that Deshaun Jackson sucked. I mean, Deshaun Watson, excuse me, stuck in there with the Davey O'Brien. But everything else – Definitely, you know, seems to be pretty good. Uh, Dante Freeman is just a, you know, uh, 18-wheeler. I mean, that's his nickname, and it's, it fits him perfectly. Um, Charlie Strong definitely got the most out of him that he could this year. So um, hopefully, you know, he'll go pro and uh, this year and, and start making some money. And, and it's going to really be a threat because, I mean, he could be a receiver. He can play a little, you know, wildcat quarterback. He can be a running back. So, you know, team good offense coordinator is going to have a, a lot of fun with him in the NFL. All right. As we look at to device, uh, any um, any other names or any other surprises in the awards? No, nah, I mean they, they did what they do. I mean, I, I think that um, the running back out of Florida State, Dalvin Cook, should have gotten an invite to New York for the Heisman. Like, the fact that he didn't get an invite, I think, is crazy. In fact, you had two players from Oklahoma get invites, but not him is really crazy. But you know, the game's a game. Other than that, I mean, you know, things went about like I thought they would. Um, yeah, Dalvin Cook deserves some love. He didn't get it. It's kind of disappointing. I think Cook was hurt because of FSU's performance, and that kind of took away from him individually. Uh, but he put up some some incredible numbers, especially even as a as a receiver out of the backfield. Um, I think he's the most versatile uh, versatile back in the dra- possibly in the draft. Uh, and I'm, I'm interested to see where he goes. Uh, you know, he doesn't have a a major injury history, and he looks like he's going to be um, extremely effective, especially when he gets in space. So it's, it's, a, it's an interesting look. Uh, we're going to look at the NCAA basketball big game this week. Uh, North Carolina takes on Kentucky at Rupp Arena. Uh, Kentucky coming off a, a loss to UCLA. Um, it's another showdown with a lot of freshmen. Uh I'm looking forward to it because uh, uh, Carolina is actually telling telling folks that Joel Berry, their point guard, will be back. Uh, Carolina has not performed very not performed very well since he's been out um, with an injury. Uh, they're going to need him because they're going to have to hit some shots against this uh, big Kentucky lineup. Uh, any uh, anything of interest in this matchup of the two powerhouses in NCAA basketball? It's going to be if Carolina can manage the game from the outside. They don't need to take more than 16 three-pointers, and they need to be able to hit at least 10 of them. So, I mean, they need to hit no less than seven three-pointers in this game. And then it's can their experienced big guys overpower the freshman big guys that Kentucky has? Because Kentucky is going to have all of the perimeter advantages. I mean, their wing players are phenomenal. Um, so it's going to be a big challenge for Carolina's um, perimeter defense today to keep him from getting in the lane and then try to recover out and, you know, put a hand up in Kentucky shooter's face. But the thing, if you're a Carolina fan to look for, is their own three-point shooting and then, of course, rebounding. If Carolina's rebounding the ball, offensive rebounding well, and not letting Kentucky get their own offensive rebound, they'll be able to, you know, be in the game at the end, and we'll see if coaching can overcome 
whatever it needs to at the end of the game with the you know, timeout situations in college basketball. But most of the time, two good teams, it comes down to what either coach can put on their clipboard. So that's how Carolina can win the game, uh, shoot at least 50% from three-point range and dominate the backboard. Uh, just looking at Kentucky, uh, Carol, uh, Carolina did get a good look at how uh, Kentucky wants to play them by with the game against Tennessee, and, and they struggled at times. I mean, actually, Tony Bradley had to uh, pull them out of the fire, so to speak, with some with some uh, timely offensive rebounds. Uh, but Kentucky's also got to look at what Carolina wants to do with the uh, UCLA game. Uh, UCLA pushed the pace with their uh, with their young guards and uh, guys who just like to get out on the floor and run. And and actually, they they were able to do that as well. So if Carolina tries to push the pace, I don't think Kentucky will uh, will back down. Uh, I think that they can also match Carolina's pace and get some free get some easy baskets themselves. So. It looks to be a very interesting game, probably high scoring, mid eighties. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, if Kentucky pulls it off at home. I mean, I think I mean, Kentucky's held to them, them right now, right? Um, and they're at home. That crowd will be up for Carolina, so I mean, I think Kentucky Kentucky should win the game. It'll be fun to watch. I mean, you know, anytime you get to see two true blue bloods play, that's always good. And um, by the way, shout out to Georgetown and Syracuse playing today. You know, two former Big East teams. Um, of course, Syracuse left and went to the ACC, but it's good to see them renewing that rivalry, even though it's kind of weird to see them play in December. But good to see them kind of renew that rivalry, and hopefully that's something they can keep going as the years go on, man. It's a shame to see, you know, the Big East have to, you know, do what I had to do. But really looking forward to that. I don't think it's going to be an exceptionally great game, but it's just good for nostalgia's sake to see those two teams play. Yeah, any you could put uh, Duke and Maryland in those in those type of – that type of matchup. Uh, any any of the old Big East in which now are ACC and and Big Ten uh, matchups because college real college basketball realignment has been so confusing to the uh, you know the fan of made of even five years ago, but you know it's all about the money as they say. Just a reminder that you are listening to Know the Score presented by the CSPN, and we move on to. The NBA, uh, it's an interesting time of the year where you're a third of the season, and now you got the time where um, some star players are sitting out games on the road. And the fan response, of course, has been negative, uh, particularly at LeBron James, uh, who's set out two games of this recent, um, recent road trip. Uh, Kyrie Irving has complained about tired legs, uh, you know, you, you sometimes wonder if these analytics and sports science and all of the new advances that have been acceptable in the league, you know, is it to the league's detriment? Uh, Nibias, what's your what's your take on guys sitting out games? I get it. I know for the fans, I know they hate it. Particularly, you had LeBron, you had Kyrie, and K-Love all sit out against Memphis. And, you know, me and the Cavs only go to Memphis one time a year. So that does suck for Memphis. It does suck for their fans. Um, like, a lot of people bought that ticket to see LeBron. But, I mean, look, the NBA is a star-driven league. The NBA is a league about its players. That being said, I mean, LeBron's been in the league, what, 13, 14 years now? I mean, mm-hmm. if you look at his whole career, he's been in the finals or damn near to the finals every year of his career. And he's played Olympics, and he's done all that. Camelo Anthony, you know, same thing. I mean, he came in in 2003. Yeah, they all came in together. I get it. Kyrie Irving has had injury issues. He came into the league after only playing, what, eight games with Duke? And he's right. had um, Kevin Love as a big man. And, you know, I get it. I mean, look, at the end of the day, the NBA is about entertainment, and the players are the entertainment. Like, let's be clear. But you got to do what's best for your team, man. So if that means sitting the guy, getting some rest, you do what you got to do. And I know people, like, you know, want to talk bad about it, but I'm with it. I mean, because I think they're learning – that these back-to-backs and all that stuff, man, and all that travel. I mean, you got to remember, like, you look at someone like Chris Bosh. Like, I know his situation is a little different, but a lot of those blood clots come from constantly being on those planes. So you're asking these six foot ten, six foot eight guys to be on these planes for hours and hours. Yes, I mean, yes, I mean, you're traveling not even first class, beyond first class. I mean, you're traveling luxury, and you're staying at the best hotels. I get it. But, hey, man, if you can save a flight here and there, make sure your body's where it needs to be, you know, you do what you got to do for yourself, man. 
I mean, because at the end of the day, because if LeBron gets hurt, then the Cavs, any chance of them winning a finals is done. If Kyrie gets hurt, as think as we saw, basically if any one of those big three gets hurt, the Cavs ain't doing nothing. Um, and I think the Cavs are playing a really good brand of basketball. I think they're trying to make sure they're ready for, you know, for the championship run that they can have. Because I, I think they can beat the Golden State Warriors. So, yeah, I, it's all right. I ain't got no problem with it, man. Do what you got to do. All right, Doc. It's just a, a culture shift, I think. I think that back in the day, you know, in the olden days when our favorites were playing, the thing to do was they probably didn't practice as much. Instead of not playing in the games, they may have didn't participate in a practice. If they had a long practice, if they had a shoot-around, maybe they didn't have to participate in the shoot-around to, um, you know, get the rest in during the season instead of having to miss the game. Which, like Nabiah said, you know, is the main part of which everybody sees, which is the game where they're out front and they can be their superstar self and be the attraction that everybody comes to screen and cheer for. So I think the change may have to come from the CBA and the way that they work their season. I don't think anybody really had a problem with the season starting at Christmas and then playing 52 games when they had their latest uh, lockout um, and the season got cut short. I think a lot of people actually um, were looking forward to the NBA. A lot of things as far as football had, you know, gotten itself straightened out. College football had gotten itself straightened out. Baseball was long gone in the past when it started. So everybody was really hyped and excited and it got off, started with the bang and just, you know, went right on through into the finals. So, I think they kind of found something by accident that they might want to go back and explore. And then that way, if you can space the time out between the games where maybe you play a game and you have two days to get to your next city instead of a back-to-back, then you can, you know, not have to have so many of your best players set out because the rest is built into the season by not playing so many games and by having more time in between games, more days in between games. So I think that may be the solution that you see to alleviate some of these things. I mean, it used to be that, you know, Pop would do it just to this guys out at home because the theory is, you know, your season ticket holders will be the people who get to see you more often. And if you don't play one or two nights in front of them in a season, you know, what's the big deal? They've got 39 other nights where they could have saw you. So it's not so big as like Nabaz was saying, if you're in the Western Conference and you're only going to get one chance to see him and then he doesn't play and he doesn't even travel. So you can't even see him like at least warm up, take a layup line and don't can do the pregame at least. You know, you will feel cheated and don't feel like you got the full value of your ticket. And so, you know, from a fan point of view, that's very understandable. But the NBA can fix it. It's nothing that can't be fixed. Um, they just have to, you know, think a little bit outside the box and, you know, get out of the realm of, well, it's got to be 82 games because this is how we've always done it. I mean, you know, leagues have always expanded their um, schedule. It'd be cool to see a league finally, in the interest of their players, decrease their schedule um, in the name of player health and player safety. Well, I mean, but another thing to keep in mind with um, increasing the schedule, you got to remember, like, most of these teams don't own these arenas. I mean, they're renting them out or they're sharing space. So you're either sharing space with a hockey team or you also have concerts and other events. Those events are scheduled out. So it does become a little complicated on scheduling. I do think it's possible. But um, Tom Haberstroh for ESPN has written in detail about how bad the back-to-backs are on the players' bodies, and they just don't work. I mean, you know, like in the league, there's certain losses. We just call them, you know, you cover the league a little bit. You call them schedule losses. You can just write it down. You know what's going to happen. Literally nothing you can do about it. And, you know, I, and I get the 80s guys are always going to say, well, yeah, well, we did it. But, yeah, but they also, you know, drank a lot of beer and smoked cigarettes at their game. So, I mean, you don't do that anymore. So, you know, I think as time evolves, things change. You start to realize that certain things weren't the best way to do it, and, and you make the change. My issue with uh... – the the fans perspective is that you can't have it both ways you can't go to a game and expect the players coming off a back-to-back to be in the top condition and then go on social media and talk about how trash they played when they're not healthy or when they're not playing at at their full performance playing on back-to-back nights but you but you feel like you want the best product. You want to see this guy play. But don't you want to play him at you don't you want to see him play at his best? Also, um, let's add the social media aspect. There are more ways to watch an NBA game more than ever before. The access has tripled since uh since the advent of being able to watch your games on your phone, being able to watch your games via the computer, uh, you know, just adding those type of access you've got and you've got more opportunities to see a particular athlete play i know nothing beats the live experience i get that but at the same time let's consider the fact that you know 
there are other opportunities out there to see this particular person. You may you may want to travel a little bit, and you actually you may tra- you may travel and be able to save the money that you pay, then going to your own arena and seeing this guy play. So just uh, I think fans also need to be uh, evolved as well. We can't we can't just have everything all in one bat all in that one basket for 50 some years and not expect any changes. Okay. As we move forward, uh, we're going to look into just the, uh, the actual play on the court. Uh, as we look at the Eastern conference, uh, look at the standings, the New York Knicks have been a subject of recent discussion because you've had Phil Jackson and Carmelo Anthony, uh, kind of at odds about Carmelo holding the ball and, and slowing down the offense. Knicks are winning. Well, this is this is kind of a cool concept. Uh, the Knicks are the only team in the Eastern Conference that are currently in the playoff uh, that was not in the 2016 playoffs. I mean, despite the fact that they are at a 2.7 negative uh, 2.7 point differential, which is the only uh, team in the top eight in, with that, uh, the Knicks can actually be considered a good team. Um, you know what's so different? Uh, you know, you could talk about Porzingis, but there's got to be some other other. Uh, other characteristics of that team that make them competitive. Uh, anything you've seen, uh, Don, in the Knicks? It wasn't evident the other night because when I watched them play Golden State, they didn't have Carmelo. But it looks like that their bench has actually, you know, supplemented and done a very good job. Uh, you know, Courtney Lee is very dependable. Brandon Jennings actually has, you know, been the good Brandon Jennings this year. Um, Lance Thomas has actually stepped in and gave given them good minutes. So I think that they have a little bit more um, – you know, consistency coming off their bench to supplement their star players. I think what's weird about the Knicks is that they have such a power struggle about what type of offense are they? Are they, uh, you know, a get out and run push the pace team? Are they uh, a triangle team? Are they, uh, you know, kind of doing what Phoenix was, kind of space the floor, shoot the ball type of team? So I think, you know, watching them from game to game and possession from possession is kind of the interesting thing with the Knicks because they're kind of like a blend. It's like you see some triangle and then you see some three-point shooting, and you see some running, and then you see some, you know, like Carmelo holding the ball, doing his thing with isolation. So it's just kind of like a hodgepodge of, of offense right now, and they, they're still searching for an identity. So to be able to be winning and still haven't, you know, gotten the formula just right on offense yet, it's a credit to, you know, um, Pointercheck and the guys on the team just buying in to kind of what they're doing, even though it may not look so clear-cut to the people on the outside right now. They are what they are. I, I, I think they can score it. Um like I said, I think Porzingis is a real player. Um, and probably the one good decision that Phil Jackson has made since he's been there, right? I mean, this guy is incredible. He can really play. I mean, Camelo is still Camelo. Like I said, I don't know how far this team goes in the playoffs, but it, it's fun to see the Knicks be good and actually be entertaining. So, and salute to them. I really like uh, how Brandon Jennings can get the ball uh, and get get them easy baskets. Uh, just by just by sprinting with the floor and being so fast with the dribble, uh, he might not be the greatest of shooters, but he energizes that bench because he can get the ball up the floor faster than some of those uh, starting point guards. And you know he can he can find he can find you when you're open. So uh, that has been a real real spark plug. And you know I've got to root for the HBCU uh, players always. Uh, Kylo Quinn is, has been. A, uh, been a beast on the boards. He's played pretty well on both ends, particularly on the offensive glass. Um, he's been a real, real help, particularly uh, when he's had to start. Um, you know, he's added a uh, for a guy who was pretty much a perimeter guy when he was in college. He's uh, bulked up, and now he's he's a post player. It's it's just hard to imagine, but uh, O'Quinn's actually a, a a threat down there, and he 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 gets he agitates people because he. He gets on the floor. He dies for loose balls, and and he's you know he can find the basketball. So that's it's a it's great to watch and great to see them have uh, great to see them win games and be entertaining. Um, looking forward to the Western Conference. Uh, remember when you know that when you had to be uh, four or five games over five hundred to just barely get in the playoffs. Uh, you know, right now that's not the case. You got only seven teams above five hundred, and. Uh, you know the top six are very good. You know Utah's in the six is in the sixth spot right now at sixteen and ten. Um, what gives in the West? I mean, what do you 
executives like what do you what do you ask specifically? I mean, what's um you know what's changed? I mean, there's there there are really some bad teams in the Western Conference. Um, just is it just uh just the involving of of certain teams or just uh you know bad drafts or you know? I mean, I mean what? I mean, look, you got the I go to state. You got um obviously San Antonio. Um, I think the Rockets are a pretty decent team. I mean, there's still good squads out there. It's just different, man. I mean. Um, I think OKC still has some games, so it's just the league changes, man. This is what that is. <clears throat> think just the bottom teams have gotten a little. Uh, you think it's the fact that the bottom teams are just stuck with, uh, you know, with just bad play with, you know, not necessarily bad players, but just no chemistry or just teams that weren't necessarily. Uh, they're just not gelling because the Western Conference. It used to be that the Western Conference of uh, recently had about nine or ten teams that were among the best in the NBA, and that's clearly not the case now. Any any um, any opinion on that, Don? To answer your question, Tyler, I think just the Western Conference is for the teams that are, like, rebuilding or haven't, you know, reached the potential that we thought they would have by now. You have Phoenix, that was a playoff team a couple of years ago. They're totally rebuilding. Minnesota, they're in a rebuild mode. The Pelicans... Um, you know, they're kind of in a rebuild mode. They're, you know, trying to figure it out with Anthony Davis. So I just think you have so many teams that are still trying to become what they're going to be as their final identity. And it all seems to be in the West where the East during conference has more teams that have been established and have been together a little bit longer and they are where they are and they're starting to see their potential. And I just think the West just is a bunch of teams are rebuilding besides the, you know, upper echelon of the conference. I think that the uh, overall in the NBA right now, the emphasis on the emphasis on the draft is bigger than ever because right now you have uh, the C- in the CBA. One of the bullet points is getting a uh, making teams commit to that second contract. So if you don't get it right in the draft, you are likely going to be stuck with a guy for six or seven years. I mean. Yeah, if he's productive and puts up numbers his first four years, you're okay with that. But when he gets that second contract, you're you're really making a commitment. And I think some of those bottom Western Conference teams um, have struggled because they've made some commitments to some bad guys. And of course, you have, uh, of course, you can have poor decisions by GMs. But I think more importantly, you have to be very careful with who you draft, and that's going to make some change. That's going to be the key for teams to be competitive. I mean, guys are just going to have to be good at the end of the day. And I think that the same, because the same teams that keep winning over the course of the last 35 years are because their front offices are much more committed to winning. And of course, the luck of the draft and the luck of the bouncing balls in some cases, uh, they've been able to maintain some sort of continuity over over time, of course, you have the Lakers. Of course, you have the Spurs. Um, you look at the the '90s Bulls. I mean, they were winning to uh, they were winning to cut some checks and make some bold moves. But right now, you've got some you've got some GMs out there that just really aren't that good, and they're being and they're being exposed. So hopefully, uh, as the years go and as this new CBA comes in, uh, teams will be able to scout better and you know make better decisions as players pan out. Just a reminder that you are listening to Know the Score, presented by the CSPN. Visit our website at knowthescore.cspn.us. Follow us on Twitter at KTSPod and keep the conversation going using the hashtag KTSPod. And now it's time for the KTS polls, brought to you by Skull Candy. Skull Candy makes the best headphones, earbuds, and gaming headsets, all with lifetime warranties. Skull Candy produces many types of audio accessories, including headphones, sports earbuds, Xbox gaming headsets. PlayStation gaming headsets, DJ headphones, iPod headphones, and MP3 headphones. And now for the listeners of Know the Score, Skull Candy offers free standard shipping on your orders. To help keep our podcast free, order from Skull Candy by going to cspn.us, then click on the Keep Our Podcast Free link, click on the Skull Candy banner, and then shop for high-quality audio accessories with free standard shipping. Skull Candy Audio through CSPN. Do it today. We come to our polls. First, of course, we have the Player of the Week, Ride the Pine, and Score of the Week. 
the play of the week must be a single on the field sports play. Uh, the ride to pine is the person, place, or possibly team that has done the most to hurt their standing in the sports world and simply needs to have a seat. And of course, score of the week, that's a single number of statistic that is outstanding. Uh, first, I'd like to begin with the player of the week. Uh, Don, take it from here. It's your player of the week. I'm going to go with Ryan Kerrigan's uh, game-winning sack fumble against the Eagles last week to preserve the Redskins' victory and keep them in the playoff hunt. Um, finally didn't let one get away. So, big shout-out to Ryan Kerrigan, uh, his 11th sack of the season, uh, one of the top uh, five in the league this year in the sack numbers. All right, Tobias, your play of the week. Yeah, Nick Beasley um, for, the sack, for the sack strip fumble and even a missed dunk. Kind of mistimed his dunk, but... Man, salute to him, man. Last year, a lot of people were calling him a bust, and now this guy is up for, at least in the discussion of the defensive player of the year, leading the league in sacks. And, man, shout out to him, man, being able to bounce back. All right, my player of the week, going to uh, Larry Nance Jr., who looked a lot like his dad when he uh, pulled, a cross- pulled a crossover and then to, to, to continued to rise and finished a dunk over Brooklyn's Robin Lopez. I mean, I, I actually watched Larry Nance uh, win the dunk contest, and Junior just Junior looks like he has the same vertical, and you could just see how high his his hand and the ball was up over the rim. It's just that it, uh, it's an amazing dunk uh, when you add that he had to do it off of a off, pretty much off the dribble. So uh, so yeah, definitely Nance Junior gets my play of the week. Uh, we now go to ride the pine and the bias we can start with you. Jeez, man, a lot of pine riding to put out there and kind of feel weird even putting this as ride the pine. I want to be really careful how I address this. Um, but the University of, University of Minnesota football team boycotting on the behalf of 10 teammates who were accused of sexual assault. Look, I'm all for players using their power. And I also think that maybe one day this might be what ends up getting the players paid. But that's a whole other conversation for another day. That being said, I feel weird about this, about the guys trying to do this boycott on behalf of guys who may or may not have assaulted a woman. And the details of that case are really murky, and there's a lot there to parse out and to kind of sit with. And I just, like I said, I, I just think that that's the, that's the wrong time and the wrong way to use your power. And very disappointed in those guys for standing up for a situation where they don't know if those guys are really right or wrong other than taking their words in this situation for justifying it. It's just really bad. It's a bad look, man. But I think they're going to play in a bowl game and probably they're not that good anyway. But more importantly, man, I, I'm just disappointed that this is the hill they chose to die on. Uh, for this week's Ride the Pine, I'm going to net nominate all the Cowboys fans can ride the pine for calling for Tony Romo after that Prescott's had three ineffective games. Cowboys fans can ride the pine. Okay, my ride the pine uh, is going to go to Boston Celtics guard Marcus Smart. I mean, what, what, come on, man. Come on. You know, when you are known as a flopper more than what you're known as for any of your play on the court, you you, you got to ride the pine. I mean, it's it's gotten ridiculous. Uh, Smart made his third appearance, his third consecutive appearance on the TNT show Shacked in a Fool specifically because he flops. And it, it's, it's awful. I mean, the NBA has made it a point of emphasis to stop these guys from flopping and trying to get calls. And the guy just continuously does it to the point where he doesn't care. And it's it's sad because he's a good athlete and he actually is a good defender. But you're going to end up not getting any calls because your flops are ridiculously bad. I mean, just just guys that are not even as strong and as built as he are. Yeah, he is. He's supposedly cause they're supposedly causing him to, uh, you know, literally throw himself four or five feet out of bounds. Come on, man. So Marcus Smart got to ride the pine. I'm, I'm, I'm just I'm just tired of it. And now for the score of the week. Uh, my score of the week will go to uh, it's actually number six, which is the number of times St. Bolt has won the IAAF Athlete of the Year. Uh, he actually recently was awarded this. And that uh, that is a record. Uh, Bolt, of course, is considered to be the best track athlete, uh, one of the best track athletes of all time, if not be the best. Um, you know, obviously, he did the uh, the uh, triple gold again 
um, winning the one, the two, and the four by one relay in this past Olympics. Um, you know, still one of the most exciting athletes we've seen in quite some time. So, uh, six is my number for score of the week. Uh, Tobias, you can pick your score of the week. Basically, it's really the last pass week for Russell Westbrook getting the six. Uh, getting, excuse me, getting the seven um, triple doubles, man. Just the guy has been an animal this year. And I think I used to wonder if he could keep it going, but it seems like he can. So, and they need every bit of it, man. So, shout out to him for keeping those triple doubles rolling. I'm going to nominate the number one. And last Sunday was the first time that uh, Russell Wilson had ever lost an NFL game by more than 10 points. I just thought that was an outstanding stat. Just shows you, you know, the Seahawks are in every game. And most of the times they come up on the right side of those close games. And this was the first time he'd ever been, quote unquote, blown out in a football game in the NFL. So that's my number of the week, the number one. Okay, we've uh, we've now come to the end of the show. And just to let you guys know that we will be uh, out. Uh, actually, the CSPN will be taking our, hol- our holiday break. Uh, if there are any final thoughts, uh, we you will next hear from us on Sunday, January 8th. Uh, we'll record on, on uh, Saturday, January 7th. So that's why we have our NFL predictions on the show that you heard earlier. Uh, we would like to wish you a happy and safe holiday. And we will also have a special guest to give her final thoughts for this uh, last show of 2016. Um, we can start with uh, Don. Uh, my final thoughts are just, you know, the NFL playoffs and the bowl games, just a whole bunch of football um, coming to a head all at once. It's also bittersweet because football is my favorite season. It's, it has the most anticipation and it seems to go by the fastest of all the seasons. So um, good luck to everybody who's got a rooting interest in playoff teams and bowl games and just everybody be safe and have a very Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Be prosperous. And, um, you know, just keep looking, listening to another score, download and share with your friends. And um, thank you for providing the uh, medium for me to, you know, give this content every week. Tobias, for your uh, final thought for 2016? Ah, oh, man, Jesus, a lot, man. It's been a hell of a year, right? I mean, uh, first of all, man, thank you very much to our steam producers, Classic Melly, for allowing us to do the show each and every week here on the network. And shout out to all the people on the network, man, Crown and Kyle, just to everybody, Ground Girls, the whole gals, whatever they call themselves. Um, just everybody who does a show on the network and everybody who takes time to listen, I, I sincerely appreciate you. And, you know, it means a lot. Um, doing this podcast has been a bright spot in what has been a otherwise dark year. Um, but said, man, um, one reoccurring thing that I've always said since I think we've started doing this earlier, really back since last year, man, is that how a person feels about sports will tell you how they feel about life. And whether it's this university, university of Minnesota situation where you actually see old white men um, brushing off a sexual accusations of black men sleeping with white women. Um, it's just fascinating the level that people will go to to protect college athletes, but yet not pay them. If you look at just the landscape of sport, everything that's happened this year, man, I think it's revealed more and more. We didn't even get to mention the Mixon kid from Oklahoma who now has the video out of him punching, you know, the woman. And, of course, now it's such a big deal when people just read it and it wasn't. I'm just confused as to what did you expect the video of a man punching a woman to look like, right? So what I hope is that particularly as the inevitable train wreck that comes of our future president-elect coming into office, that we use sports as a unifier as opposed to a divider and hopefully we're able to realize, man, there's much bigger things going on than what goes on on the field and just protecting these athletes when they don't do right, but also standing up for the ones who do what's right. Anyway, man, I love you guys, man, and, and I sincerely and humbly thank you all for listening each and every week. Thank you to everyone who has been a part of this show. Um, Jesse, everybody, um, Don and Tyler, everyone who's been a part of this, man, I sincerely appreciate you guys getting to know you all and Look forward to hopefully what will be a great 2017. My final thought uh, is going to go on the basis of uh, Time Magazine recently honoring uh, our president-elect as this person of the year. And I consider it, along with their fellow, uh, a fellow with their special magazine, uh, Sports, Inter- Sports Illustrated, uh, picking LeBron James. Um, I think that there is a little bit of a, 
miss the message here. Um, our sports gives us a chance to escape from the monotony of our daily lives. But when the individual athletes decide to step away from sports and use their celebrity to make an impact for all people, are we embracing these athletes for the courage to do so? Or do fans say, just do your job? I don't need to hear what you have to say, especially since I don't agree with your point of view. It's one thing to advertise a product, but it's another to take a social stand like Colin Kaepernick did when he took a knee. While LeBron James and the Cavaliers energized the city and brought home a championship to a star of city, Kaepernick's actions regenerized a generation of his race, highlighted an ever-growing problem that many of these same athletes face today, and most importantly, put a conversation to the forefront that a number of this country still managed to flat out ignore. Whether you agree or disagree about his views on police brutality, the military, or even recently just his, his views on Malcolm X and Fidel Castro, you heard about it, not only by sports media, but national news media as well. It's like highly likely that you had a conversation about it as well. That is what a sports person of the year does. Colin Kaepernick should have been honored as such. And now we bring a special guest, one of our two producers. We have Melanie, also known as iBeauty underscore Jackson on Twitter. And she would like to have a uh, final thought as well. Hey guys, I just want to thank the team, first of all. Um, that's Tyler, Nabias, Don, Jesse, the homie who ain't here because she is out doing big things. And of course, my partner in crime, Classic. Um, I also want to thank our listeners. Um, there's no us without you and all that dope cliche jazz. And we, I, I appreciate you guys for, for listening to us, for participating in the polls. All of you guys who have been guests, who have given us some of our best shows of the year. Of of this of this podcast, to be perfectly honest, I think we've had our best shows this year, and it's only going to get better. So I just want to thank all of you for your support, um, for your feedback, and 2017 is going to be fantastic. So I want to wish you guys a Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, take care of yourselves. I'm Beauty Jackson, and now you know the score. Happy New Year. Happy New Year.